0: Well, good morning, good morning. We are going to continue here in 2 Corinthians. We're actually going to tackle two chapters today. And I think, uh, you know, I heard from a number of people that there was quite a bit of sickness this morning. Uh, In fact, it's part of the reason why Melissa and I were leading and, and so we're a little light in here this morning. But I think really what it is is that some people heard that we we're going to cover two chapters today. And they're like, I'm, I'm not showing up for that. But I promise that I, I'm not going to extend our, our time together. Uh, we should be able to cover it in our, in our allotted time. But last week we talked about, in, in chapter 7, we talked about the fact that it's unwise to be, uh, to be mismatched with, with unbelievers. That while we may not see uh, why that's a problem... From God's perspective, it's a real problem. We might not see why it's a problem to to have, you know, to link up in an exclusive partnership with someone who is not a believer, but that's because from our human standpoint, sometimes we don't see... A great divide between us and unbelievers. So if we, you know, really like each other and want to date each other, or we feel like we're, you know, compatible in business or or whatever, you know, we have the same interests, same goals, then we think it's probably not a bad idea to hook up an, an exclusive relationship with someone who's not a believer. But made very clear last week, hopefully, was that really We are so out of step with the world that the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is similar to, you know, night and day or good and evil or Jesus and the devil, that it's that stark of a contrast. And so we just need to go into those relationships just knowing that, that there is truly a divide there and that we're called to live in this world, but called to live really out of step with this world. And that's not something that we need to like, work towards or try to, you know, try, to, try to do. We don't have to try to be weird or something. It's just if we live the authentic Christian life, we are going to be out of step. It's just the way it works. And then we finished the second half of what we looked at last week was this idea of the fact that correcting a fellow believer is painful to both the person doing the correcting and the person receiving the correcting. It's not easy. If you've done that, that's just not an easy thing to do. But uh, the goal of that correction is repentance. And so if that repentance comes, there's a lot of joy that comes from that and a lot of benefit that comes from that. Not only regarding whatever the sin issue was, but in so many other areas, the the repentant life is just a much better life than it is to stay in persistent, unrepentant sin. So today, we're going to transition to this topic of, uh, of giving and generosity, and so let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll get into it. Lord, um, we are truly thankful for the celebration yesterday, and just the ways in which it got us to reflect not only on the, the character of Cliff, but on your character, uh, and what you were doing in Cliff's life, and so just so thankful to be able to spend time doing that. Thankful for these passage today that we're going to look at, Lord, I pray that we would Just observe the responses of these different communities to the opportunity to give. We'll respond to Paul's words to them in a way that helps us to think well about this area of giving. You want us to to change the way we give, change the way we think about this area, Lord, please just do your work in us this morning uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray this in your name. Amen. So let me give you a little background real quick on what what we're about to, to get into here early in Paul's ministry, actually, yeah, later in Paul's ministry actually, but, but he spent time with the apostles, right? Paul was not an original apostle. He was not one of the 12. And so he had spent some time with them. And one of the things that the apostles told him is they said, you know, we're definitely in line uh, theologically, but please remember the poor, is what they told him. And Paul, I think, took that on in a a number of ways, but one of the ways that he took that on was that he uh, started collecting financial gifts for the believers in Jerusalem. So as you can imagine, we don't know exactly what the need was for the Christians in Jerusalem, but I think we can be pretty sure that the needs that they had, they were a very poor community. And the reason why they were a poor community is probably because of their Christian faith. So if you can imagine that if you're living and working in Judea and specifically in Jerusalem, the religious culture of the Jewish people and the economic and public life of the Jewish people were basically inseparable. And so you start to follow this Jesus heretic and you start becoming a part of this Christian cult, that's not going to be received very well in that community. And so it's very possible, uh, and we know this to be the case, that people were ostracized in that community. Which wasn't just like social ostracization, while well, that's hard to say, but also financial, right? Because you relied on co- commerce with interpersonal relationships with people, right? this just came to my mind. Tony can tell you a lot of what he does in construction work has to do with relationships. He builds relationships with people, right? So imagine if all the people in Red Bluff suddenly saw Grace Community Fellowship as a scary cult that no one should associate with, that would probably be very difficult on Tony's business, right? And that's the idea here is is that it was probably just very hard to exist as a Christian believer in Jerusalem. And so Paul was, was taking this collection really from all the churches he was connected with to bring some support back to the believers who were in Jerusalem. And these two chapters are really about that collection that the Corinthians already knew about. He had already talked to them about it. And so we could view these two chapters as just like, oh, that's nice, it's kind of this personal information between Paul and the Corinthian church, and we could just leave it at that. There are passages that are like that, you know? It's like, say hi to Syndicki or whatever. You know, and they're like, oh, okay, like, that doesn't mean anything to us, you know? But I don't think that's the best way to treat these two chapters, because I think we can witness the giving patterns and the heart behind the giving of the Macedonian church and the Corinthian church and Paul's encouragements I think we can look at those things and take some lessons for ourselves, And so that's what we're going to do today. You'll notice that there are a lot of points on your handout because we're just going to go through and try to highlight these principles of giving that the church was being encouraged to and that they were displaying. I will say this as we talk through this. When I'm talking about giving here, I want to be very, very clear that I think this area of giving includes giving to this church. It includes that, right? Because we need to keep the lights on and we need to you know, be able to do ministries. We need giving here at the church. But the New Testament doesn't speak much specifically about giving to the church. Uh, that's not really what is being discussed here. Actually, this is churches giving to another church in another area, right? So it, it includes giving here at the church, but it is not exclusive to giving here at the church. It's all sorts of giving that we, that we do, all sorts of generosity that we have towards people. And so please take these, these principles that way. And when I'm speaking about giving, that's what I'm talking about. All right, so chapter eight, let's dive in. He says, now brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. It's a crazy statement, right? Their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, the wealth of their generosity. For I I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily. So there's three distinctives so far of this group of Macedonian churches in their giving. And one is they gave according to their ability, and that's important. Two, at times they gave beyond their ability. And three, they gave voluntarily. I think all three of those things are important. And so we're going to get right to the points on the handout. The Macedonians gave what they were able to give. The Macedonians gave what they were able to give. Sometimes their giving was a stretch for their financial means. And the third one is, they gave because they wanted to give. He's going he's to touch on that a couple of times. They gave because they wanted to give. And I'll just start here by saying, at times, I think in the church, we've heard messages that say something like, you need to give beyond what you're able to give. I, I think that's problematic based on this Stuff. I think sometimes there's this guilt ridden giving situation where people don't give because they want to give, but because they're kind of guilted into it. We need to stay away from those kind of things. That's not what we're called to. All right, verse four. He says, Begging with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected." Again, a very funny statement where he's like, they're begging Paul to be able to participate in this giving campaign, right? Like that's a funny thing. It seems like it should be the other way around where where Paul is like begging them, please, please, please give, right? But actually it was them who were begging him, hey, we wanna help out, we wanna be a part of it. It's really, really cool, right? And this word here where he says begging us with much urging for the favor of participation, this word favor is actually the same word in verse one. That's translated as grace for grace of God. It's the same exact word and it actually means gracious gift. And so understand their perspective. They were begging for the gift to themselves of giving to others. Is not weird. Like it's a crazy idea, but this is the next point in your handout. They saw giving as a gift for themselves. That's why they were begging for it. They saw giving as a gift for themselves. They continue on with verse five here. It says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. These guys had their priorities straight. It's easy sometimes to make giving about the person we're giving to, or about ourselves because we're the ones giving. And those people are included, right? Those entities are definitely included, but giving should definitely be a reflection of our relationship to our Lord. So they first gave themselves to the Lord and that led to this giving that they were doing. And so the next one on your handout is their giving to others was a consequence of having given their lives to the Lord. Their giving to others was a consequence of having given their lives to the Lord. So, verse 6, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Paul had started this campaign, this giving campaign, uh, and Paul had encouraged them to give. But Titus was following up with this request. And Titus had been sent to the Corinthian church. We've talked about that a a couple of times. He had been sent ahead, probably even bearing this letter to them. Uh, Verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, speaking, knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspire in you, see that you also excel in this gracious work. I'm not saying this as a command, but as a proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love as well. So, Paul is taking this and using it as a teaching moment for them, taking this the way the Macedonian church was responding and uh, using it as a teaching moment. And he says, just as you excel at so many things, as a church buddy, he's talking to the Corinthians, right? Just as you excel in your, your trust for God, and you're, you know, you're very articulate, and you have uh, extensive knowledge, and you're, you're earnest, and you're diligent in the things that you do, and you love well, like all of these things are to your credit, like they all are good, excel also in giving. Like add that to your repertoire of amazing things things that you are as a church. But notice, really, really important. I think again, in some ways I'm responding to some just terrible messages I feel like the church has has communicated at times. Notice what he says in verse 8. I'm not saying this as a command. He's, He's clearly saying there is no command here. There is no have to here. This is an area of freedom. You don't have to give to any specific thing. You don't have to give any specific amount. This is not a have to, but this is a get to, which is the point on your handout. Giving is not a have to, it is a get to. And again, I think so many times we communicate the opposite of of that. And giving is an expression of love. There's no other way to describe true generosity in giving. It's love. It's it's a love, it's a love offering. <laughs> you know, we use that kind of terminology. All offerings are love, are meant to be from love, right? That needs to be the source. Or, and honestly, I'd probably say this for all the ones that we've looked at so far, we probably just didn't give. Like, if it's not about love, it's, if it's not about communicating love and trying to love on people, then, then what's the point? Like, what are we doing? Verse 9 It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So, of course, he goes to Jesus' example here, right? Of course, Jesus is is our example to follow in all things, so it's super appropriate for for him to put this in as an illustration, that Jesus gave up everything in heaven, right? If you wanna think of riches, of wealthy people, of wealthy persons, absolutely, Jeff Bezos has nothing on Jesus, right? Like, not even close. And he gave it all up to be a pauper, right? He gave it all up so that he could become poor, not as it ended of itself, but so he could make others around him rich. Like that's our our Lord, that's our Jesus. And he's saying, we should follow his example. This is where generosity should come from for us. We're trying to be like Jesus, Right? So, the point is giving of ourselves is a clear example of the Christ imitating life. Giving of ourselves is a clear example of the Christ imitating life. Verse 10 says, I give my opinion in this matter. Remember, it's not a command. It says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage who were first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do this, to do it. It's to your advantage, which is a funny word in Greek because the word in Greek actually means, means profitable. And if you think about it, you might think giving is sort of unprofitable, right? I'm taking money out of my wallet and giving it away, that seems to be unprofitable to me, right? This cash is leaving my wallet, not entering my wallet. That seems like a debit, not a credit, right? But he's saying this point, which is giving is profitable to the giver. And sure, it's not profitable in dollars and cents because money is leaving your account, right? But it is absolutely profitable to the giver. And he says, again, he hits on this point, because uh, you know, a year ago, they had been offered this opportunity to give to the Jerusalem church. He's saying, you were given that opportunity a year ago. Now today, now that you're reading this letter, desire to give. Make sure it comes out of the desire to help Jerusalem believers. But he also says, desire is not enough. Look at verse 11. He says, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was a willingness to desire it, so there may also be a completion of it by your ability. For if the willingness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So this is sort of a funny statement, but I think it'll make sense. Like he's saying, you desired to give, you desired to be generous, and now he's saying, but desire is not enough. Now you need to actually do it. Now you need to actually pull out your wallet and give the money, right? Like those two things have to work together. So that's the next point. Desire to give and actually giving are not the same thing. Desire to give and actual giving are not the same thing, which is obvious, right? I mean, it's an obvious statement, but He's referring back to when he was with them and he's like, a year ago you guys desired to do this. Now you've got to join that desire with actually you know, doing it, pulling out your wallet. Because the desire to give without giving is not effective, right? We could, that makes sense, right? The desire to give matched with the actual giving is the effective thing, right? But... Notice what he says here. Let's get the point and I'll I'll show you. The desire to give should not lead to giving beyond our means. The desire to give should not lead to giving beyond our means. It might sound holy, and I know it does sound holy, to give away your rent money, but don't give away your rent money. It might sound holy to use your credit card because you don't have the money to use your credit card to support some missionary somewhere, but don't pull out your credit card because you don't have the money to support that missionary. Don't give beyond your means. And that's what he says. According to what he does not have, you gotta give in in accordance with what you actually have. Verse 13. He says, For this is not for the relief of others and for your hardship." Sometimes it's viewed that way, right? Like I'm giving my money away to help other people, but then it's meant for my, my hardship, right? I'm going to be, have less money, so obviously that's hard on me. But he says, he continues look at it. He says, but by way of equality, at this present time, your abundance will serve as assistance for their need so that their abundance also may serve as assistance for your need so that there may be equality, balance. As it is written, the one who has gathered much did not have too much, and the one who has gathered little did not have too little. He's referencing Exodus 16, which is the the account of God giving the Israelites manna. I don't know if you remember that story, but they go out, and some gathered a lot of manna, and when they got back to the house, it was exactly what they needed, right? And some went out and gathered a little bit of manna, and when they got back to their house, it was exactly what they needed, Now, I don't know how all that works, but that's the story he's referencing, right? And so the, the idea of this illustration is that the purpose of giving is not to create need for yourself and hardship for yourself. That's not the point. Now, again, there are messages out there. There are people who would say, yeah, it should be about creating hardship for yourself. I'm just giving you what he's suggesting to them, right? The purpose of giving is not to create an imbalance, The purpose of giving is not to make others have more than what they need, creating a need for you of having less than what you need. The purpose of giving is that God has intentionally given some an abundance at a particular time so that they could participate in helping those who are in need. Do you see how that works? Like you have an abundance, someone has a need, and it creates this balanced reality which God is seeking. And he's intentionally given you an abundance. And I would say, even though it's not particularly in the text he's saying this, God's given them a a need so that this interaction can happen. Because think about if there was balance all the time. We wouldn't be able to participate in serving people, in meeting their needs, right? Because there's balance all the time. But instead, what God has created is this moment where you have an abundance and they have a deficit so that there can be this balance, and you got to participate in it. That's, that's his point. And he's also saying, at another time, they will have an abundance and you will have a need. Now, that might not be financial. That might be something else. That might be spiritual. But God is giving everyone abundances in some way to meet needs to create opportunities for balance right? Opportunities to serve one another. So actually in that way, God is trying to create balance, not an imbalance on your side with this way you set it up. The point on your handout is at different times we have either need or abundance and giving is the way for us to care for one another in their moment of need. At different times we have either need or abundance. And giving is the way for us to care for one another in their moment of need. Verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness in your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. So he's, he's saying, I, you know, I sent Titus to you and I was encouraging Titus, to take this collection, but Titus didn't need any encouraging. He was super excited to take this collection because he believed in this support of the Jerusalem believers. Verse 18, he says, we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only that, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness Taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. So he, he says that you know, as well respected as Titus is, there's also this other guy that Paul was sending with Titus. That actually the Macedonian church said, Hey, send that guy too. And we don't know who this guy is, there's some speculation about it. But whoever the guy was, he was well known to the churches as being an upright and honest and faithful guy. And so there, there might have been a situation in, in which there were those who wanted to question Paul. We knew, we knew that that existed. There were, there were people in the Corinthian church who were doing that, trying to tear down Paul and his friends. And so the wisdom of this is that he's like, I'm also sending this faithful person who people really, really trust with this gift so that you know while Paul and Titus's consciences were clear about this gift this collection that they were taking they're including this trusted person this is a wise moment right because then they're kind of the, the murmuring that might happen would be hushed by oh yeah but that guy's with them right that guy's helping to take care of this of this money i think we can trust that it's going to be handled well That's what he's saying. Verse 21, he says, For for we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of other people. We have sent with him our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many ways, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. Now there's this this third guy who's also going with the group who is a trustworthy guy that the apostles have found trustworthy, that the Corinthians know to be trustworthy, also wise, right? Sending kind of a delegation of people to just demonstrate, hey, you can have confidence in giving. We'll make sure it gets to the Jerusalem uh, believers. Hopefully to leave little doubt in their minds about that. Verse 23, says, As for Titus, He is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the church, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. So he's saying, show love to this group I'm sending to you. See, we got through a whole chapter. We got one more though. Chapter nine. For it is superfluous to me, I love that word, superfluous. It is superfluous to me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your willingness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia, which is where Corinth was, has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you will be prepared. So Paul kind of says, you know, I feel like my comments are, are a little bit unnecessary here. Uh, since the Corinthians had already been planning, they had already been saving for this, uh, this gift, But I, for one, am glad that he continued to write, even though he felt like it was superfluous to do so, because we wouldn't have this example to follow, right? And I think that's God's intentions in inspiring these chapters, that we can look at this example. So I'm really thankful that he did continue to write, and that God inspired it. If you think about it, he could have just shown up a year ago and told the Corinthians, all right, it's time for a gift for the Jerusalem saints. Give what you can, and I'll take it to them. But instead, what he did a year ago is he said, hey, every Sunday, give an opportunity to collect for this fundraising campaign for the saints in Jerusalem. And so in that way, they had been saving week after week after week after week after week after week week for a year so that when he returned, he could take probably a much larger and more effective gift to the Jerusalem saints. And that's what he did. So the example here, the the point on your handout is having a predetermined plan for giving can be wise. Sometimes there's this perception that giving has to be spontaneous and it can be spontaneous. There's nothing wrong with that. But having a predetermined plan can also be very, very wise. You know, I, I know some of you with giving to the church, you're on an automatic giving plan, you know, through the app or whatever. And that's just a predetermined plan, right? You know, you want to give and here's just the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to set it up on an automatic thing where it'll, it'll deduct automatically. Some of you probably save a little bit for maybe a future opportunity. Maybe you, you put away some money and you're like, I don't know the opportunity yet to be generous, but I know I'll have the opportunity to be generous at some point. So I'm going to save kind of this nest egg for... Being generous, so that when that moment occurs, I'll have a a nest egg to pull from for this this generosity, right? You know, I know I know people who also, uh, particularly with giving to the church, they do like tax planning at the end of the year, right? Tax preparation, and they're like, I know I can give this certain amount at the end of the year, and it'll help me with with my taxes. And those things are all good, right? Those things are all, all. profitable to kind of think through how are we going to be generous, and how can we be most effective in our generosity. All right, verse 4. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I considered it necessary to urge the brothers that they go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the previously promised generous gift that the same would be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given due to greediness. So, again, he's talking about this planning and preparing, right? they had been preparing for a year for this. And maybe, maybe this has happened to you, and I think that's part of his concern here is that, you know, maybe you've saved up for a while to be generous at some point, Right? But if you can imagine if you've ever done that, like if you're saving up for a little while, as that nest egg gets bigger and bigger, you might become more and more reluctant to use that nest egg for generous reasons, right? Because now you have this nest egg that probably would be great to put, you know, braces on your kids or something, you know? Like you've collected this. So he's saying here, if you can't give that nest egg generously, if it's only out of obligation that you're going to give this nest egg thing, then maybe you should think twice about it. Because, again, and here's kind of the point I have for this, don't let pre-planning turn giving from a get-to to to a have-to. Like, maybe you typical point of view on giving and, and, and generosity is that it is a get-to, that, I, that, oh man, it's just so great that I get to do this, but maybe if you start to, to save a little bit and collect that nest egg, then that becomes, that makes that into a have-to. Well, I would say probably you need to either come to a point where it's a get-to for you or maybe not give away that generous, generous thing that you saved. Verse 6 it says, now I say this, The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows generously will also reap generously. This is a favorite verse of prosperity gospel preachers right here, right? Let's pass around the offering plate and uh, just remember, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously to my ministry, you will reap generously in your life, right? Not at all (laughs) what he's talking about here, This is a picture of of a farmer with a bag of seed, okay? So if you picture this farmer with a bag of seed and they're going and they're spreading the seed, right? And so there's this obvious principle that he's like, if you only spread a sparing amount of seed, then when the crop comes up, you're only gonna have a sparing amount of crops, right? Makes sense. Where if you grab into that bag and you spread generously, then the crop will be generous, right, when it comes up. That's that's picture, right? And he's trying to get us to think about this in regards to giving, right? Here's the point. In regards to our giving, tight-fisted giving, which I use that word because I was thinking about seeds and like holding on to the seed, you know, whatever. Tight-fisted giving is of little benefit to both the giver and the receiver. Generous giving will have a great impact on both. Tight-fisted giving is of little benefit to both the giver and receiver. And generous giving will have a greater impact on both. Now, notice he is not commenting on the amount given. He's commenting on the idea of liberality or not liberality. That's what he's saying. There's no comment on how big the bag of seed is right? The bag of seed could be this big, like this is all I got, but I'm going to be generous with the little bag of seed that I got. Or it could be a massive bag that you got over your shoulder and you're like tossing, you know, the bag of seed doesn't matter. It's not a dollar amount that he's talking about. He's talking about how to be generous and be generous with liberality. Whatever your gifts are, make them Full. in fact the, the problem with this kind of prosperity gospel idea is that of course they're selective in the verses that they look at right we have this example from jesus's ministry right luke 21 he says now he looked up and saw the wealthy putting their gifts into the temple treasury and he saw a poor widow putting in two lepta coins And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all contributed to the offering from their surplus, but she from her poverty and put in all she had to live on. Does you hear what he said? She put in way more than those guys did, and she put in two lepta coins, which, by the way, works out to be about 14 cents, right? 14 cents, like, what's that going to get you? like practically, like nothing. And you have these people out of their generosity not giving liberally, giving tight-fistedly, but out of their surplus. And he said, oh man, she gave way more than they did, right? The size of the bag of your seed is not what matters. What matter is, matters is the heart attitude toward giving. Do you give generously? Or are you kind of tight-fisted? Now keep in mind with this principle, it doesn't cancel out the other principles, right? Give what you're able to give. Give because you want to give, you know? Don't give beyond your means. Like these things are are still there, right? But the encouragement is to be generous, to be open-handed with the things that you've been given. All right, verse seven. He says, each one must do just as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some principles from this verse, there's a number of them. Someone who is hesitant to give or gives out of guilt should not give. Someone who is hesitant to give or gives out of guilt should not give. We don't pass a plate here, but but in a, in a past plate passing church, you know, you've probably all experienced this at some point. You got, you kind of got eyes on you, right? Like here comes the plate and like you just pass it on. You feel a little guilty about that or whatever, right? Or maybe you you pull out a little bit of money because I don't want to have that moment where I feel kind of guilty that, you know, putting something in the plate, you know, I guess I probably should. Like these are not reasons to give. Other people's perception or my, my sense of guilt being satisfied, like those shouldn't be reasons to give. Instead, God loves it when someone is excited to, about the opportunity, opportunity to give. God loves it when someone is excited about the opportunity to give. It's funny, the word uh, cheerful in the passage here is actually the Greek word hilaros, which is where we get our word hilarious, like, God wants you to be a hilarious giver, which is kind of weird, right? But, but this is someone who's, like, joyful about it. Like, yes, this is cool. It's a little bit like the Macedonian givers, right, who were begging Paul to be a part of this giving ministry because they just so wanted to be a part of it. They were so excited to be a part of it. Like, this should be the heart that we give with. God is pleased with that. Like, man, I get to be a part of this. Cool, right? Like like when you think about giving to the church here, like when you think about all the things that the church gets to do and all the ways that the church is involved in people's lives, like I hope it's exciting to you to be able to be able to, able to participate in that way, right? Like, yes, I get to be a part of what we're doing here, right? That should be exciting. I could tell you that when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the anonymous donor who gave us the, the loan for the electrical work that we needed to do at the, at the church. I don't know if you guys remember that, but we had a serious electrical situation in the church and we knew it was gonna be at least $10,000 and it ended up being close to 20. This anonymous person was so excited to give to that. Like they couldn't wait to come and get me and Mark Stewart and, and go, hey, hey. I want to be involved here. Like, that's it, right? So excited to be able to serve the church in that way. All right, verse 8. God is able to make all grace overflow to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So this quote is actually from Psalm 112 that, that Mike read this morning. I appreciate that he did that. I knew we'd be in this passage. And Psalm 112, is, if you remember when, when Mike was reading, is about people who fear Yahweh, who love his word and want to do his will, right? And a lot of the psalm is just talking about like good things come from a, a, a godly life. Good things come from a well-lived life th- that fears the Lord. And the part that's quoted here is actually from verse 9, and it's this part. It says, He has given freely to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Uh, the word freely in, in Hebrew here is the word patzar, which, which means to scatter freely. It's the same kind of illustration, farming illustration, that we already had in this passage. That the person that lives a good life, that honors God, that fears Yahweh, is someone who is freely kind of toss in the seed, right? And in this particular illustration, he's saying this is someone who freely gives to the poor. Not, not begrudgingly, not like, ah, I guess I gotta do my almsgiving or whatever. Almsgiving hasn't happened for 400 years or whatever. But anyway, like, like I gotta just do this thing, right? Or I gotta give to the poor, right? But it's actually this kind of like open-handed giving that, that's like, I, I'm glad I get to serve here. I'm glad I get to help here someone that's in need. And the idea in that passage and in the passage that we're looking at is that God gives us a surplus so that we can be involved in this liberal giving. I had friends, we didn't do this with our kids, but I, uh, we had some friends who would give their kids um, two allowances. It was really one allowance, but it, but it was in two parts, and part of the allowance would be the part that they got to keep, and the other half of the allowance was the part that they had to give away. I just love that, that pattern for their kids, right? To just from a very early age, like they, they were getting this income from their parents, right? And, and they, were, they were like, okay, this is the part that I get to use on what I wanna use it on, whatever, and this is the part that I gotta find someone in need to give to. Like I just think that's just cool. And this is the idea, like God has given us sort of that allowance, right? Sort of that idea of like, he's given us part of our income to be generous with it, to be open-handed with it, which is just cool. The point on the handout is God has graciously given us the resources to be able to generously give to others. God has graciously, graciously given us the resources to be able to generously give to others. He's made the grace overflow in our lives for the express purpose that we can express grace to other people. Generous gifts. And what's interesting about this passage is it ends, this part ends with, his righteousness endures forever. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that phrase, my immediate thought goes to who? To God, right? Like his righteousness endures forever. But actually that's not What's being talked about here? This is talking about being being that gracious giver that that person's righteousness, that person's right action endures forever. Generous giving is not just a, a momentary need met, it echoes into eternity. Which is the point in your handout. Generous giving is an act that echoes into eternity. Because you know if you're giving to someone in need or, or to a ministry or whatever, like that's only going to go so far, right? It's, it's only going to meet today's needs or, or whatever, next week's needs or next year's needs or whatever. And eventually that's going to run out. But the act of generous giving doesn't run out. It is an eternal act, which is just cool. It goes on forever. Verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food which is obviously God, right? He's the one who gave you the seed bag. Uh, And bread for food will will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. It's important to always make sure we're clear on our source of giving, on the one who is supplying our seed bag just further reinforcing the point that we already looked at that you don't have to write more in, but that God has graciously given us the resources to be able to generously give to others. He's done that, right? It's just reinforcing that idea. He is the source. He deserves the glory for it. In fact, I don't think it's a bad practice that if someone praises you for a generous gift to them, it's a very easy thing to say, yeah, but you know what? It's only because I got it from God. I'm just, I'm just passing on what I was given, Right? Like, glorify him. Verse 12. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. This giving and the impact of the giving is not just about the money itself, it's about the fact that when the Jerusalem saints receive this money, who are they going to praise and worship? right? The God who supplied their needs. They probably don't even know, these are anonymous donors from the, you know, just, so, you know, those people in Corinth, those people in Macedonia, like they don't even know specifically these people because it's been brought from other people. So their only place to be thankful is upward, right? The only place to be thankful is to thank God for supplying their needs through the generosity of other people, right? Verse 13, he says, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And if you're an authentic believer, this should resonate with us because we want God to get all the glory, right? So to be able to be a part of something in which we're supplying needs for other people and they're glorifying God is just great. Like, I get to be a part of that. Verse 14, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I love he finishes there, right? For his indescribable gift. He's the gift giver. We get to be the one to to be kind of the mediators of that gift. So good. All right, the final one of the many points this morning. Giving is effective in both meeting an immediate need and also inspiring the receiver to praise God as the ultimate source. Giving is effective in both meeting an immediate need and also in inspiring the receiver to praise God as the ultimate source. I'll say at least because part of what we're talking about this morning is giving to the church. I could tell you there are so many times when the elders are sitting in that room and we're looking over some sort of financial report because we've got to look at that kind of stuff and praise just flows, right? Because we know the faithful gifts of the people in this body we know where the ultimate source is, right? We know that God is the one who's supplying the financial resources for this church time after time after time, month after month after month, week after week after week. But he's using you guys to do that, right? Like it's just, we're just thankful. Like thank you, God. Thank you, God. I have a quote here at the bottom of your handout that we'll just finish with this morning. Uh, This is from an unknown source. Um, There's a story behind this, but I'm not gonna tell you about it. We don't know who the source is, but I, I like the quote. So it says this. I do not believe one can set up a rule for one's giving. There ought to be a great readiness of impulse and a great careful, carefulness of calculation. But I believe that giving ought to be a habit and a regular part of one's life, one which one dares not omit. It is a form of saying thank you to God. It is a form of putting, yourself, putting oneself in a state of continual reminding that one does not own these things but is simply for a time they're trusty. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are uh, just so, so thankful for all the ways that you include us in gift giving and in, in generosity. And we know that you're the ultimate source of that, which is just so cool, because you could just supply it in some other way, but you give us more than what we need so that we can supply the needs of others, which is just cool that you include us in that, Lord. Help us to be wise about our giving. Help us to be wise about the ways that we maybe um, plan for giving. And in the end, may you just be the one that's glorified in it all because we get to be excited about participating in what you're doing in the lives of other people. Lord, give us that heart. Give us that, that perspective and, and help us to be wise in it. Pray this all in your name.